0: Deep down, I continued to believe that there had to be one right faith, one that I had yet to find or commit to. I had not given up my search for the right answer, the right faith, the one that God approved of. We'll find more about the journey of today's guest in just a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. Today's guest is Angela Himsel. Angela is a writer based in New York City, and today we discuss her writings about herself, her life, her journey. Angela Himsel, welcome to Mind Talk.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Angela, you begin um, your memoir, A River Could Be a Tree, which is a very interesting title, um, with really talking about the Worldwide Church of God. Tell us about the Worldwide Church.
1: So the Worldwide Church of God originally began as a radio program, um, I think in the 1930s, and a lot of people back then were utilizing radio to reach a lot more people. The worldwide church of God was founded by Herbert Armstrong. It was an apocalyptic church. And, um, my parents heard Herbert Armstrong on the radio in the 1950s, and they both left their respective religions, Catholic and Lutheran to join this church, which I was raised in, and my 10 siblings as well. And, um, it, it, was not mainstream. It was very different than mainstream Christianity at that time, certainly. And in addition to waiting for the world to end, always, the church had other um, other. Tenets, let's say that were unusual. We observed the Sabbath on Saturday. We observed the holy days uh, that were written about in the Old Testament, um, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, and so on. And we did not celebrate Christmas and Easter. So, within my small community, we were the only ones in it. So we were very much on the outside, uh, looking in in a way with our extended family
0: you said that you were uh one of 10 others 11 of you
1: 11 correct i'm the 7th of 11 right uh,
0: um that that sounds like a very crowded living <laughs> yeah there
1: were, there were, there were usually two or three people in one bed let me tell you <laughs> and one bathroom so um you can imagine the the chaos that ensued in that house i think uh i everybody was surprised that my parents managed to maintain yeah, I think. Barely.
0: <laughs> you you say as you, you were heavily influenced by the teachings of Herbert Armstrong. Uh, tell Correct. us more about who he was to you as you were growing up.
1: You know, he really was this charismatic figure who who thundered and screamed and pleaded and you know, was incredibly, incredibly certain of his own rightness and self-righteousness too, I suppose. And it, for, for whatever reason, we followed. We believed him as well. He um, was considered the um, Elijah amongst us. He was considered to be one of the apostles. And so he was pretty much nothing short of a prophet to us. And um, we, we believed that he knew more than we knew, obviously, that he had special insight into the Bible, that God was using him here on earth to teach the nations, and that he was God's sole representative here on earth in terms of, you know, Christianity. You know, the Pope was not God's representative, none of the other heads of Christianity were God's representatives. Only he was God's representative here on earth.
0: And this is something that your your parents believed and taught all of you, all of the children, to believe wholeheartedly?
1: Well, they did, but um, my parents actually, the, my, I'm the seventh of the 11 kids, so my oldest sister is eight years older than I, and I think that The birth order really does matter, because by the time my parents really fully embraced the church, my older siblings had already had several many years without it. So, yes, they were influenced by it, for sure, but they kind of escaped as quickly as they could, I think. When they were 18 or so, they kind of just stopped going. Whereas the younger ones, we were really steeped in it. We went to church every Saturday. We, you know, we really grew up in it. Um, in an immersive kind of a way. You
0: you say in A River Could Be a Tree that you could never pray enough, you could never give enough, um, that you were taught that God, while on the one hand was good and merciful, but he was also insatiable in his demands. You further say, and I quote, God was inconsistent, as inconsistent as the church, as my parents. Right. Right. That sounds really confusing.
1: It was very confusing. I mean, you just sort of, you were always, you know, tiptoeing around spiritually, never quite sure. I mean, I thought that I did everything right, or I tried to do everything, quote unquote, right. I tried to. I tried to follow the church's instructions. But even if you thought you did, there could be some spiritual sin in you that you're not knowing about, then I would get upset because, well, if I didn't know about it, how could I address it? So you were always kind of kept on the edge. Yes, you're chosen, but maybe not. So I think that that kind of mixed message, uh, to put it lightly, was really hard. And it was very confusing as a kid because it was not consistent. It wasn't just, you know, you do three Hail Marys, one Our Father, and you're good to go it was never like that you did you did whatever you did and then the next day it wasn't enough
0: so it sounds like you were essentially living trying to live a normal life on shifting sands on a regular basis
1: yeah i really was i mean i don't think i was aware of it at the time but i think that as i got older and you know found myself in this sort of quandary of of i think that i'm in the right church i think that i'm doing everything right but then maybe i'm not so am i ever good enough probably not so it's a very hard place to be you know to do your best or think you're doing the best but always be falling short
0: so it it sounds like you would also be taught to question yourself to question your own judgment about pretty much everything anything were you
1: I think that to a certain extent, that's true. I think that, that um, if you disagreed with the church, if you disagreed with any of, its, um, any of its views, then you were the one who had the problem, not them. So you kind of couldn't trust your own judgment. So if the church was anti-gay, which it was, but you didn't think there was such a terrible thing about it, well, then obviously I was wrong. So it was very hard to to reconcile my own intellectual viewpoint with that of the church, because if there were a contest between my will and the church's will, then I should certainly give up my own will and follow the church.
0: Period. End of story.
1: Absolutely. That's it. Because if I didn't, then it pretty much indicated that maybe I had a demon or I didn't have you know, the mind of God, or I didn't have the Holy Spirit, it indicated a lack in me.
0: So certainly as a young girl uh, growing into a young woman, the idea that you could never be enough for kind of fill in the blanks would have had, I would think, uh, a terrifically chilling impact on just your sense of yourself as you were growing up.
1: It did to a large extent. It did. I think that I'm grateful that obviously we went to a secular school in 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 our town, and even though we were kind of supposed to um, separate ourselves from our families and just because they weren't converted, we didn't as much as some people did. We didn't cut ourselves off. So I do think that the church's influence, even though it was profound, there was a mitigating factor, many mitigating factors, and one of them was uh, education, honestly, and and reading. Uh, Through reading, I discovered other worlds, and I can never, obviously, underestimate the power of the written word. It's what I am today, and I do think that, to a certain extent, it sort of saved me, Uh, as well as education in general and extended family in general, so they were good mitigating Factors.
0: Angela, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I'd like to talk about your sister uh, who became ill at one point. Folks, this is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk, and I'm having a conversation with Angela himself, who is the author of A River Could Be a Tree, a memoir. We'll be right back. <music> Angela, before we talk about your sister, I'd love for you to explain to us the title. A, a river, river could be a tree. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, well, I want to just say that we had a hard time picking a title for this book. <laughs> we had we went through many, many. One of my very favorites was Frog Legs in Heaven, but it was vetoed. <laughs> um, so <laughs> we we wanted a title that was kind of evocative, maybe a little mysterious, but that indicated. I wanted a title that indicated what I felt was an important theme in the book, and I think it's a universal kind of a question, an issue, and that's the theme of change. And um, in the book, my uh, father talked about how men and women have their roles. The church was always talking about how men have their roles and women have their roles, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And when I argued about it, or anybody argued about it. My father said, that's the way God intended it to be. Men have their roles. Women have their roles. What would happen if a river thought it could be a tree? And I remembered him saying that very vividly. And so I included it in the book. And when we were looking at titles, I don't know, it just sort of jumped out at me because it was a little bit lyrical and poetic, which was not necessarily my father, who was a construction worker. But on the other hand, it really did indicate this crazy possibility that you can change, a river could be a tree, a woman can have a different role than the one that she's been assigned at birth.
0: Well, it certainly is a title that causes one to sort of pause and think, okay, yeah. what, what exactly is this all about? And and so I think you, uh, you and your team chose well with the title. Thanks let's talk about your sister um Mm -hmm. she became ill at one point um and the illness seemed to ebb and flow what was the response Mm -hmm. of your parents to her illness
1: so you know i was very young at the time and when i was working on the book i really um i wanted to get it right i wanted to know what actually happened aside from what I remembered about what happened. So I did ask some siblings. I asked my parents about what happened and and it sort of corroborated what I already knew because I lived through it. She became ill uh, and we didn't, I think they didn't know what was the matter with her at first. They did take her to a doctor to be diagnosed and they said that she had a congenital hole in her heart. But I, do I think that that's what it was? I don't really know. And also, we were in southern Indiana in a small town. The local doctor there regularly prescribed um, amphetamines to women who were pregnant so that they could keep their their weight down. So these weren't the best doctors in the world, let's just say that. So I don't know whether or not my parents ever attempted to take her to another doctor. I don't think that they did. Instead, they relied on prayer and they were relied on prayer cloths and the prayer cloths were sent from the church headquarters. And, uh, you know, they would, they would anoint her with the prayer prayer cloth. So they believed in the power of God to heal her and that God's power to heal her was stronger than any medicine. And the church um, really, they, they, at times they forbade people from, From utilizing uh, medicine but at other times they again inconsistently they said well you can if you don't have enough faith and of course nobody wanted to be accused of not having enough faith and so you know she she got better she got worse she got better she got worse and then she ultimately passed away when she was um, 13 so young yes
0: so young. Yeah. And the the yeah. idea that perhaps she died as a result of uh, the family not having enough faith, so painful.
1: Very painful. My father believed that it was because he uh, didn't keep the Sabbath a couple of times because he actually worked on Saturday a few times and you weren't supposed to. And he believed that, that in essence, he killed her, in essence, because by working on the sabbath he was condemning her to death
0: so again really inconsistent views of the loving all powerful god uh right. that you were growing right. up with
1: so right. there well, there, god was loving and punitive at the same time <laughs> which is
0: kind of hard to navigate particularly as a child right. but so yes. you you went from living in a household that, perhaps my bias, practice a very closed religion, if you will. Sounds right. like it had yeah. all the makings of a cult. And right. today, you are living in New York, and you no longer okay. practice that faith. In fact, your faith is very different this, today. That's right. Talk about today. Um, well, the The little
1: spiritual journey that I went on ended up being um, living in Israel for two years, going to Hebrew University and learning about Judaism, which I really didn't know anything about, despite the fact that we were observing the Jewish holidays, which I didn't really know that they were Jewish holidays. I thought that they were our holidays um, and i i I really liked. Judaism in, for many reasons, and one of the reasons was I liked the fact that you can question. You can ask questions, and you have lots of answers, and there's been many, many questions asked over the last thousands of years, and many, many answers, and it wasn't and isn't this monolithic religion in which there's only one way to practice. Obviously, that's I can say the same about Christianity, by the way, because there's many, many ways of being a Christian, and they're all valid as well. But I guess I liked more of the questions, and I liked more of the answers in Judaism. And so I took classes. I moved to New York City. And uh, I ultimately felt it was the right fit for me and for my family. And I married somebody Jewish, and I have three kids. And, um, and I've been happy with that choice. It's, it's been a much better choice for me because I can both have a faith and still practice, obviously, the holidays and, and so on. But I can also have a bit more of an open mind. There's not that, um, there's, there's absolutely no preoccupation with the next world, with the end of the world. It's much more a faith that's based in this world. Certainly, there's belief that there's another world, but it's much more about how do you behave today and how do you live your life today. And that appealed to me. And again, I know that 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 actually is in many faiths and in many religions, and Buddhists would be very similar and some aspects of Christianity, but it works for me.
0: You know, going from the Worldwide Church of God, which you were pretty clear was going to end in 1975 until it didn't, Uh, and then learning so many troublesome things about the leader, Mr. Armstrong. I I wonder if you look back on those years to include the loss of your sister with anger, with hurt, with acceptance. How do you view those years?
1: Um. Yeah. You know, it's it's definitely a mixed bag. That's for sure. I I think that the loss of my sister was obviously the most profound. It was the most unfair, and it was unfair to everyone. It was, but it was certainly mostly unfair to her. I have no way of knowing whether or not she would have survived with medical care or not. I really don't know that. Um, it, it's possible she had something that and at that time you know open heart surgery was barely had barely begun so it's possible it would have been the same outcome i don't know um but aside from that the the church took so much money from its its followers and it was and that to me is just you know it's so incredibly wrong these people worked really really hard for their money and many people ended up not having money at the end of their years because they had given so much to the church. So that part makes me really angry that they were taken advantage of, they were duped, and also the that a lot of kids who grew up in it decided not to get higher education because the world was coming to an end. So a lot of people made choices that affected the rest of their lives based on the church's beliefs that the world was coming to an end, that you didn't need money because the church needed it more to preach the gospel. And so that part also makes me really angry because kids can't help the way that they are raised. It's uh, They don't get a choice in the matter. And that part does make me angry. So I guess I don't look back on it particularly fondly. And I think that most of the people that I know and I know many who have left the church, mostly everybody. I think a lot of them are filled with a lot of anger. A lot of people felt that they had to marry somebody, for example, within the church. And there weren't that many people in the church. So they ended up marrying people that they would not have normally married because they had to stay within the church. So I feel that in general, it limited people's choices in in really, really... Um, life-changing, profound ways.
0: When you ultimately learned uh, that the church leader was, in fact, not who you thought he was, but, in fact, um, had been involved in a, uh incestuous um, situation with his daughter for 10 years, that he was guilty of theft, of financial kickbacks. In fact, what you say is uh, corruption and immorality seem to be the themes by which he personally lived while preaching the reverse to his congregation. Um, We're going to take a break now, uh, but when we come back, I'm going to ask you to tell us just a tiny bit about what that was like for you when you learned of the difference between who Mr. Armstrong presented himself to be and who you ultimately found out he was. So that's where we will pick up when we return. Folks, my name is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk and a conversation with Angela Himsel, who is the author of A River Could Be a Tree. We'll be right back. <laughs> As, as I look at um, and read A River Could Be a Tree, it seems so much, certainly a story of a young girl growing into a young woman, really coming into herself. But it also speaks to the, um, for a period of time, seemingly never-ending journey of trying to find your religious fit, that worked for you and that you could be pleased and celebratory of and so within that context of that journey that you took what was it like when you learned that Mr. Armstrong was indeed quite the opposite of what he preached
1: you know, I didn't find out, actually, a lot of it until I started writing this book, because I had long left the church. I hadn't left the church because it was corrupt. I had left because I didn't, I just couldn't go along with the the rhetoric any any longer, and I just didn't believe. So I left before all of this became known, and I left before the Internet was a thing. And so I didn't find out a lot of this stuff until relatively recently, I would say within the last 15 years or so, and little by little with the Internet, I started finding out these things, which I included in my book. I must tell you, I was just devastated. I really was. When I read this, I just felt... You know, there's nothing well there's many things that are worse than feeling duped but but feeling duped and feeling totally taken advantage of and it is just such an awful terrible feeling that that you know you've boy have you been swindled and um it's it was tough to to read when i was reading these these various um papers about Mr. Armstrong and his entourage, it was really hard to read that in retrospect because obviously in my mind's eye, it's the 1970s, my sister is sick, and we are sending in our tithes and our offerings to Herbert Armstrong thinking that we are supporting the, the gospel so that Jesus can return to earth, when in fact we were not supporting that, we were supporting a totally corrupt lifestyle. And I think that the the dichotomy between what was happening, what was real and what we were taught. It was just such a huge, huge gap between the two. And I don't know that I've ever really reconciled it, to be quite honest. I don't know how you do that, the that, you know, you were, you were raised to believe something that was really just smoke and mirrors. And it didn't seem like it at the time.
0: Well, and, you know, again, I think it speaks to, as you said earlier, children are raised how they're raised. I mean, children don't have any say over what their parents believe or teach them to believe. And as a child, you're going to believe what your parents tell you. Right. But how heartbreaking when you learn that as you said what you grew up with is not in fact what was true angela again your your story is is a fascinating one as it and it and, and it follows so many streams uh, again from growing from a young hmm. girl to a woman from you know really going on your religious journey from branching out and and embracing new religions and new lifestyle it just it 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 really is a fascinating read how do folks learn more about what you're doing and learn more about a river could be a tree.
1: Um, I have a website. It's Angelahinsel.com. makes it very easy. You can read an excerpt on my website. You can read other essays uh, that I've written also. And there's um, actually some family photos. So you can see family photos of people I speak about In the book, and you can get information there, obviously, about where to purchase the book.
0: And that website is A-N-G-E-L-A-H-I-M-S-E-L dot com? That's it. All right. Angela, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And, folks, thank you for joining us on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service, and it is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a mental health, medical health, or other professional. You can always listen to Mind Talk on demand by going to mindtalk.org. You can also check out the platform that you choose to listen to, MindTalk is probably there. You can download the MindTalk app from your iTunes or Google Play store. MindTalk is produced by Jim Brown and 26x2 Communications. Don't forget to go to the homepage and sign up for the weekly free giveaway and for the weekly program guides. I'd love to know where in the world you are as you're listening today, so do send an email to me at Pamela at MindTalk.org, and that's m y n d. T A L K dot O R G and remember always, folks, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take care. Thank you.